Welcome to a new episode of Vertical Playpen, the podcast all about adventure and experiential education. In this episode, our guest host, Lisa Hunt, interviews Beth Watson. Beth is CEO of Beth Watson and Company and creator of Navigating Challenging Dialogue. You can find out more about them at ncdsolution.com. And she's also the author of Mastering Feedback, everything you've never been told about how to give feedback. As facilitators who work in the realm of leadership development, reading this book and understanding the content within it can be really, really helpful for us in our everyday work, working with organizations and teams. And you're going to hear more about it in this episode. So thank you to Lisa. Thank you to Beth and enjoy. Beth, thank you so much for taking time to talk with me today. There's so many things I could talk with you about that would be beneficial to me personally and our audience at High Five. And this conversation today is specifically about your new book on feedback. So I'd love you to introduce yourself. And then I have a lot of questions about how this book came to be. What can our audience know about you and your practice? So uh, my name is Beth Watson. As Lisa said, I'm the founder of Navigating Challenging Dialogue, which is a program that's been taught to hundreds and hundreds of leaders, managers, teachers, principals, educators, you name it, across the globe. My background is that I'm a recovering assistant principal from high school back when I worked at a public high school a long time ago. I spent 13 years at Project Adventure, which is an organization some people might recognize. And uh, I've been working with and consulting and supporting High Five for several years, I think since 2008 actively participating. My work is really about self-management, emotional self-awareness, and my mission is to help people engage in healthier ways at work and at home. Love it, Beth. And as you said, you know, grounded in certain principles, as I read your new book, Mastering Feedback, I can't imagine that you could have started writing that book with the quality that it is without the foundational pieces that you've discovered and really nurtured in navigating challenging dialogues. I had the privilege of attending um, on Zoom, like a book launch dialogue with you. And I think one of the questions that Sasha posed to you was like, you basically like woke up and wrote this book. And I'd love if you could sort of recreate what was the urgent need? And then where did the energy come from? Because you wrote this in a short period of time. And yet as a reader, I would think that this is a well-crafted book and has a lot of depth to it. So like, what was the pivotal moment of like, this needs to be done? It was my birthday weekend. And on the Thursday before my birthday weekend, I had had my probably 200th coaching call with a manager or leader. I can't remember which, both the same thing who again needed support untangling this issue that had become big and complex with a staff member and had now infiltrated to other staff people and was impacting morale and trust and all of this. And it could have been resolved so much easier if we could just back up to the very first incident and the the person I was coaching felt comfortable 
safe and skilled enough to be able to deal with it in a fact-based, emotionally clean and clear way and just given the feedback in that moment. But instead they do what so many of us do, which is try to manipulate an outcome or create workarounds or any of those things because we don't want people to be unhappy. We don't want people to be uncomfortable. And we don't want to witness and experience their discomfort. And so what I find, particularly now in a pandemic, when people have all these reasons why people are fragile, people are overwhelmed, people are anxious, people have too much on their plate. So I can't possibly give feedback now. And the opposite is 100% true. Feedback's is to, for growth and development. But back to your original question, I went to bed that night and I thought, I often ask my guides and teachers to bring me answers in the night when I'm sleeping. And I said, what is the one thing that I could do to really solve this problem, this avoidable problem that brings so much angst? And I woke up that morning in the book, I, got, I grabbed my laptop in bed at like 5 a.m. And I spent most of Friday, all of Saturday, and half a day on Sunday writing the book. And it just flew out of me because it's what I've been doing for since 2008. My partner said, what the heck are you doing? And I'm like, I don't know. A book just has dropped in and it's coming out and it needs to be put to paper right now. And my team got it pulled together and edited and formatted and published in like three weeks. It was unbelievable. And I really hear that this is not like feedback as you think it should be. It's really, you know, I I think about some of the um, early episodes of this podcast. We, as a training team said, what are the things that people ask us all the time? Let's start with things that we say a lot, but we don't have a way of imparting other than verbally. And I sort of, I recognize that theme of this is something that folks have needed coaching and support around and you're sort of condensing it. I want to put some definition around feedback as I understand it from the book, and I'd love you to correct where I'm going off the rails here. This is not about like what to do if you have like a issue at work that really should be toward HR. Like this is a discrimination issue or something about equity. This is not about like, I'm not sure how to tell you that your sweater doesn't match your pants. This isn't about sort of behavior modification. Right. So given those, like, this is what it's not, could you define clearly the way that I've heard you before said this, the feedback in the context of this book is about this. So feedback is our, one of our most important tools for growth and development. And there's a paradox that happens, right? As humans, we have this unbelievable desire and striving for growth and development. We also happen to have this kind of flawed self-concept, the way that we envision ourselves, how skillful we are and all of this. And so we're driven to protect that. It's why when you go to the doctor and they say, how many times a week do you exercise? And you say six, and he writes, he or she writes down three, because we inflate our belief about us. We have aspirational beliefs about where we are. So that's where the rub happens in there. And so for me, feedback is about entering into a conversation in a way that acknowledges and recognizes the aspiration and supports the growth and development. 
It's a tool for saying, this is where I see that you're at. This is what I've experienced. And it's, we recommend or almost require that feedback be fact-based, not personal, fact-based. So this is where I see, this is where you're going. This is the gap. How do you believe you'd like to close that? What steps do you think you'll take to close that gap? And as I hear you distinguish between like the personal or the opinion and the sort of filling that, that performance gap in the field of facilitation, I think that there's a lot to learn around how do you close that gap around feedback? Like, hey, that activity just didn't really land well. That might be an example of per- like, this is my opinion, this is personal, but then you can base it. In- it doesn't have to be either or, right? Like you could take that opinion and base it in fact. So if you look at the objectives of this client, it was to do this, here's how that activity choice fell short. Would that be making it more sort of fact-based? Yeah, so this is the activity, right? And you facilitated it with this particular group. I've seen you facilitate it with a bunch of other groups and this was the outcome you got. When you facilitate it with this group, this was the outcome you got. What do you think is the gap there? And what steps do you think you might take to remedy it? So it doesn't necessarily go to the activity was good or bad. Maybe maybe the discussion is, you know what? We're going to scratch that activity. It doesn't work for our audience. Right. That's, a different, that's a different conversation. But a feedback conversation would be about where do you think it went differently this time? Or what do you think you could have done differently within there. There's a coaching element to feedback that we often leave out. A lot of times we just deliver the feedback, you know, hey, that activity didn't go well. If I were you, I'd do A, B, and C next time. Okay, got it, good, have a good day. Instead, it's a coaching conversation in the middle. What action can you take? What have you seen before that worked well? What do you think you might try next? That's the empowerment piece of feedback. And when, and when, if you, let's say you and I are collating and I'm the one who's done the activity, you have feedback for me. You're not asking in a rhetorical sense, like what was different? Like you, you need to be genuinely curious for my answer and not like, like waiting for me to get done with my part so that you can say your part. I see Beth is smiling because this is so like, this is just, this is what happens. Well, and that's manipulation, right? right? So feedback is not manipulation. Feedback is tapping into people's unique strengths, talents, expertise, so that, I mean, we what we call those is someone's genius, right? So you're tapping into someone's genius so they can be empowered to take the action to grow and develop. You're going to support them on that. But if I ask you a question and I think I already have the answer in my head, I think I'm already right. And I'm trying to guide you to getting that answer. That's a horrible experience for the person on the other end. And the only thing they learn is that, you know, you have an answer in your head and they, and you, the quicker they can get to your answer, the quicker they can get out of this uncomfortable conversation. Yes. I can think of you post on one of your social media channels, a question about a quality feedback. And I was thinking in a theme, not a specific instance where I've received feedback on something where like, I already know. And I'm just like sitting there going like, I know, I know, I know. And what an opportunity for me to be able to reflect and like have that confirmed by somebody else. 
want to go back to myths or things that maybe you used to believe about feedback or you were taught about feedback as a school leader in your time at Project Adventure, for example, and like how have those structures changed? And specifically, you mentioned the feedback sandwich or like feedback is a gift. Like what's wrong with some of those concepts? So the feedback sandwich was developed back in, I think, um, like 1998 or something by this behavioralist, and it became readily adopted, and a lot of people picked it up, and it, been, it was taught like crazy. And the feedback sandwich is essentially, you say something nice and positive, then you give the hard feedback in the middle, and then you put the bottom piece of bread on, which is another affirmative statement. And the truth of the matter is that people can smell it coming a million miles away, right? They know it's coming. And the beginning affirmation and the ending affirmation really don't land for them. All they're going to take, all they're going to hear is the middle, except for by the time you get to the middle, their anxiety level is so high that they're not listening anymore. And they're not able to participate because it's those anticipatory thoughts of, what is this going to be? Am I going to get fired? How bad is this? You know, feeling shame, all of those things that our mind generates to help protect us, right? To get us ready. So by the time the, the feedback actually comes, we're really almost to a fight or flight place. And in that place, we're not able to absorb information, process action steps, do all those components. So the feedback sandwich was created to make feedback more palatable. I think it only makes it more palatable for the person who's delivering it. Yeah. It doesn't do anything for the receiver. Feedback is a gift. So my colleague and business partner, who's brilliant, Sasha Mobley, brilliant coach and amazing trainer of managers and leaders, said to me, feedback is not a gift. Feedback is a lift. And I was like, feedback done well is a lift. And that's kind of become our motto around the NCD approach to feedback, right? Is the whole intention of it is to lift people up. The challenge is that most of the time, people only give feedback when things are wrong. And so it becomes, again, these are Sasha's words, giving feedback becomes a special event, right? So it's not just something we do. So part of what's in the book is about how to create a culture of feedback where people aren't shocked when it's coming or they're not hesitant or they're not fearful. We ask for feedback and we share feedback. It's just what we do. It's how we grow and develop. In Sasha's intro, I like, I've read the book twice and I circled it the first time and then I highlighted it the second time. So feedback skillfully delivered increases skillfulness not just in highlighting deficiencies, but in highlighting where there is potential and calling on the recipient's resourcefulness to delve into that. And then later she talks about how feedback is a lift. And so that brings me to, I think, one of the pieces about feedback and the skills that you cover in this book is that it, as I place myself in the book, I can grow as a person giving feedback and as the person receiving feedback. And you go into some specific components. You just mentioned one a few minutes ago about the culture of feedback. One of the descriptions was like, hey, Beth, um, I have some feedback for you. Can we make some time tomorrow? And the response is like, well, today's kind of a hard day. I've got a kid who's sick. I don't know if any of our listeners can really imagine getting a text from their manager, their supervisor, and not feeling that like, oh gosh, what is this is about? 
And I really, you know, and like, wouldn't it be wonderful? It was like, yeah, today's not good versus if I got that, I'd be like, let's get it over with as fast as possible. Yes. Right? And so normalizing that and also not waiting until every six months where you're sort of giving every problem that has arisen. In the absence of information, our mind creates stories and we put ourselves as the lead character in the story. So as a leader who's making an inquiry about, I have some feedback for you is now a good time. It's important to give a hint about what it's about, right? Mm -hmm. Because we imagine, we can imagine all kinds of things. And we all know when we've got an email that says, hey, I have feedback for you. Can we talk about it Monday morning? And you spend the whole weekend imagining what it is, right? It's not healthy for anyone. So as a leader, it's important to front load a little bit with the feedbacks about if you want to normalize the culture and then to trust your people to let you know if now's a good time or not. Because when you're taking receiving feedback, when you're already feeling vulnerable or stressed, you amplify it in big, huge ways and make it into things that it's not. Right. And so if you have feedback for me, I'm going to spend the whole weekend I mean, I don't know if this is a relatable piece. This is what I would do. I would go back into all of the things that I have been involved with with you and think, could it be this? Could it be this? And then by the time we actually sit down, like I'm not actually ready to listen no. because I'm physically stressed, probably. Physically stressed and you're just feeling relief that it wasn't this, it wasn't that, it wasn't this, it wasn't that, it wasn't this. And by the time you get the feedback, you're not, you're not able to ask clarifying questions be reflective of it, you know, those types of things. We get a lot of feedback and not all of it lands in the moment. So one of the big questions we get every single time we do any kind of a training on feedback, what if someone gives me feedback that I don't agree with? And now what I say is there's always a grain of truth. There's always something in there that you can reflect upon, you can think about, that has potential for growth. It doesn't have to be the whole entire piece. So I'll give you a quick example if if that's all right. Yeah. Sasha and I did a a training a few weeks ago for a team that we were so excited to work with. It was really, it's a high profile company and we were thrilled to be able to do it. And it was all online and people were on the call from all around the world. And at the end, when we got the feedback from it through the manager, 19 people loved it. One person had nothing good to say about the whole entire thing. In fact, they compared us to a training they had taken with Stephen Covey that was like five days long, and this was a two-hour training. And so my immediate reaction and the reaction of my team, my immediate reaction, the feedback was directly directed at me. It was specifically me. It wasn't Sasha. And so my team immediately began to help me think of ways to discount it in its entirety. It's Mm. only one person. They compared you to a five-day workshop, you know, all of these things. For me, though, I needed to sit with it. I needed to feel what I was feeling. And then I needed to go back to it later and read it again when I wasn't elevated. And there were one or two places that I, in fact, can improve in the way I delivered the content. There's absolutely no question that there was one of two pieces of information that were super helpful for me. 
our protective device wants to find ways to discount it when, when it doesn't land for us. And I say, take a break, put some grace in the space, go back to it later and reread it and just, or rethink about it and see if you can pick up one or two things. That's mm. how you grow. I love that idea of like, once you can sort of sift through the emotional impact, like what it, what is the kernel of truth that you could relate to? And I think those of us are, that, are, that run workshops and receive a lot of evaluations can absolutely relate to that. I know if I get 12 amazing glowing evals and then I get one comment, and not only will I focus on, the, uh, on that piece and what you describe your team as doing is like supporting me and discounting why that negative one isn't valid, which I, is 100% relatable. I will also not give any attention to the positive feedback or the, yes. the feedback that's like, this is what we loved. I will just discount that entirely. And so it's like, how can you calibrate that in a more appropriate way? This episode is supported by Atomic Climbing Holds. With orders that ship in one to five business days and having removable climbing holds that are really ideal for a challenge course program, allowing you to adapt and change the routes that you might have on your traverse walls and your climbing walls, then I highly recommend you checking out Atomic Climbing Holds. You can find them at their website, atomicclimbingholds.com, as well as see all the wonderful climbing holds that they make on their Instagram at Atomic Climbing Holds. And Atomic is with a K, A-T-O-M-I-K, Climbing Holds. I want to ask some questions specifically in the role of being a person who delivers feedback. And I think one of the pieces that I love about this book is that it's so practical. There's a lot of like background and I appreciate how grounded it is in navigating challenging dialogue, but there are pieces you can read this book and like literally use this as a guide to prepare for giving feedback. And it's not complicated, but it's really important. So I want to talk about some of those concepts. Tell me about the flawed first fact and how you landed on that. And can you maybe give an example of what that is? So I'll tell it through a story because that's my best way. I was hired to do a strategic planning for this really wonderful organization. And all the leaders were in the room. They brought me in. It was three days. They put me in a hotel. I mean, the whole nine yards. It was beautiful. At about 11 o'clock the first morning, when we're doing the brainstorming portion, one of the owners, there was two owners present, one of the owners, every time anybody in the room made a comment, she twisted in her chair, she groaned, she made a face, and pretty soon brainstorming is dead in the water, right? In my mind, what I'm thinking is I'm going to be fired at lunchtime. This is not working. I am not being skillful in how I'm doing this. I've lost control of the group completely. And I'm making up all these stories. And so I thought, okay, Beth, you have nothing to lose. You have to ask her for feedback. And so I did it in front of the group. I just stopped and I said, I am seeing some body language from you that I do not understand what it is. And I'm hoping you can explain to me what's happening for you right now. And she said, yesterday was my first day off in six months. And I spent seven hours in my garden. And every time I take a breath, my back 
is killing me. Um, I can't, I am in so much pain. That was so powerful because somebody got her Advil. I told her it's okay to stand up and walk around. She doesn't have to be in the chair. Someone else got her chiropractor appointment for that night. I was making up so many stories about what was happening and not stepping into asking for that feedback. I would have, the whole thing would, I would have written the whole thing off and no time. I probably would have resigned by the afternoon based on the story I was creating about what I was seeing. So I was making an assumption. I was making decisions. I was making plans based on a flawed first fact. And so the only way that we can clarify whether or not what we're basing our whole course of action on, whether or not that's true, is to go back and kick the tires on the fact that we're operating on. And the only way we can do that is to ask for feedback. This is what I'm seeing. This is what I'm assuming. This is what I'm believing. Is it accurate? Is that the truth? And I can't even imagine, like, if you had not pause to check if that was a valid fact like you're saying how do you as a facilitator even stay present when you're concerned about that and I think that that flawed first fact in your example was addressed live in real time and it seems like there are other situations where that might be something that if I'm giving feedback I might reflect on my own and just say like is this accurate and there's sort of Mm -hmm. a process for like am I basing this whole feedback case on something that is not So this is the way you do that on your own. This is the self-coaching. I talk a lot about self-coaching in the book because self-coaching is one of the key fundamental components of navigating challenging dialogue. And you ask yourself, is it true? And is it absolutely true? Meaning, is it a fact? So my assumption was this woman hated what I was doing and thought I was totally ineffective. Is that a, do I know that's a fact? Is that a fact? No. All you know is how it makes you feel. All I know is what I'm feeling, what my fears are putting on it. These are the anticipatory thoughts. My fears, my bias, my past experience, my values, all of that, my unspoken expectations, all of those things are clouding my ability to discern what is a fact. The only fact I had in that moment was that she had body language that I did not understand and it was distracting me and I needed to ask about it. And so as a facilitator, even when you're in front of a group, what you can say is, can you help me understand what's happening for you right now? Right. So if I have 10 participants and their school teacher is going through like an intro to adventure training and I have one person who is not speaking, checking their phone a lot, blah, blah, blah. You know, a flawed first Mac might be like, this person hates what I'm doing. They don't want to be here. And I can absolutely relate. There might be some situations like as you did that I might address that publicly. I also might just, yes, you know, say like, I'm not sure based on your presence, like how this is going for you. Is there anything like, and then asking, like soliciting the feedback. Yes. Rather than exactly. saying you need to change something about how you're showing up. Yes. Like owning it. I hear that too in your scenario. It's like you're like owning your discomfort rather than saying like you need to stop fidgeting in your chair. Right. <laughs> right? And there and our biases, right? So in that I've worked with tons of teachers in my past and in my present. 
And we know that bias, right? Oh, here's the one teacher that's disgruntled, the one teacher that doesn't show up, the one teacher that doesn't care, the one teacher that's just punching the clock, right? And so we see people doing certain behaviors and we put them in that category. Years ago, when Bart Crawford and I were doing a ton of training together, I remember we had one person in the room who I totally wrote off as that teacher, wrote her off. And Bart kept saying to me, you don't know what you don't know. And by the end of the day, she was like the number one most engaged person. But there was something going on for her in the morning that didn't allow her to show up. It might have been her comfort level. I don't know what it was exactly. But you, you can't write people off based on the story in your head or your bias. You can't do it. We had an internal professional development session yesterday. And at the start of it, at High Five, they played a song. And the song, as soon as it started to play, brought me back to my childhood and this image of my parents. And it was, I was overcome with emotion and like could not recover for a couple hours. And, you know, it's my colleagues. And I think I'm sort of known to express myself that way. And it was okay. But I thought, gosh, if folks didn't know me, it'd be like, Lisa Hunt is not present. She keeps turning off her camera and, you know, doesn't seem engaged. And it really does mean a lot to have a work environment where I'm not going to have assumptions made about me based on that first fact. And that's yes. maybe another, another episode. You have to be curious with people, ask them what's happening for them. But then the second piece of trustworthiness is you have to believe what they tell you as mm. the truth. Right. And I think that gets back to one of the initial points you were talking about around like the drama and the workarounds and like, what am I trying to make easier you also talk about from the perspective of delivering feedback, the concept of getting clean and clear and sifting through details. And I see those as certainly a progression of the flawed first fact. Can you give some definition around getting clean and clear as to feedback deliverer and then sifting those details? So the, the book comes with worksheets to help you go through this process so that you can do that. The first step is to write down the whole story, like vomit I always say vomit because it's all I can think of, like the whole story about the feedback you're going to give, the person you're going to give it to, the situation surrounding it, get it all out on paper. And getting clean and clear is about then going through everything you wrote down and saying, okay, what is fear-based for me? Oh, I want to, I need to tell Lisa this and I'm afraid she's going to burst into tears and run from the room and I'm going to feel horrible. Okay, so the emotional or the fear-based part is I'm afraid what your reaction is going to be. Cross it out. I need to give Lisa feedback. That's the fact. What's my expectation, my unspoken expectation? My unspoken expectation is Lisa, Lisa should hear this feedback and thank me and be grateful and apply it and move forward, right? That's my expectation. That's what I imagine I would do if I got the feedback. That's not a fact. None of that is a fact. The only person you can manage is yourself. You have no control over what the person does with the feedback. That's on them to take it in and take action on it or not. If it's, if it's feedback that is about how they have to do their job and they choose not to take action, then there's natural and logical consequences. And then there's a next step for that. But when you're delivering it, you need to be expectation free on how they mm -hmm. receive it. So you want to take out your biases, your expectations, your fears, your emotions, and what you should be left with by the time you cross all that stuff out 
is simply the fact. I need to give Lisa feedback on how timely she is with her written report because this is the due date. This is when she gets it in and here's the gap. I went through this exercise and I highly recommend, and there's a level to which I don't trust myself to do it 100% on my own because I don't have all of the, the self-coaching skills. But I went through this scenario, I crossed everything out, and what I was left with was a very strong opinion about somebody that was none of my business. So right. I think that's the, like some of, like, I, and I appreciate that I can't remember somewhere in the book, it was like, that's an option that this is, that this is, is no longer actionable. And the scenario was I have a family member in a long-term care facility and their visitation policy is always open to exception if you contact the executive director directly. And I was like, okay, that's my scenario, my feedback, da, da, da. And I just realized like, I just don't like that I don't like the policy and I don't like the fact that you have to call somebody individually, but I don't, there's no performance gap. I just, I just had a complaint and I was trying to find a way to make that complaint valid and like have it fit in this scenario and it wouldn't fit. And I was kind of disappointed, but it's also kind of free to be like, there's nothing for me to say here. I just get to be disappointed and that's fine. And so the last three questions when you go through the worksheet are, does it need to be said? Does it need to be said by me? Does it need to be said by me now? And those are three questions. I actually got them from uh, Craig Ferguson at a stand-up comedy show he did when a heckler was heckling him. And he just said that. He said, this is my advice for you. Does it need to be said? Does it need to be said by me? Does it need to be said by me now? That was about 15 years ago. I play that in my head all the time and it frees me so much because I get to pause and go, oh yeah, I don't need to say this right now. Or it's not my feedback to give. The other place we get stuck is when we decide that we're going to give feedback based on what other people tell us, right? So someone says so-and-so slacking and not getting stuff done in time. And I decide, this is a flawed first fact, right? I decide I'm going to give feedback based on this anecdotal information. And I go to deliver it in the vein of everybody tells me that you're doing X. The feedback's never going to land because the conversation is going to be about who's everybody. When did they see it? That's an instance where you say, does it need to be said by me? No, actually, I need to coach that person to go back and deliver their own feedback. Earlier in the conversation, you talked about, or maybe you didn't, but I read it, asking the clarifying question, can you give me an example? That's not a defensive response. That's the response of someone who wants to learn and grow, right? Yes. Yes. Depending on the energy. So if your energy is like, give me an example, then the other person is going to go in the defensive. But if you, if you're, it's delivered with, thank you. I hear you. Can you help me to understand a little better by giving me an example? That's a totally different, that becomes a dialogue and a conversation versus a challenge to the person delivering the feedback. What are some other components of receiving feedback other than giving us the right to like ask for an example, making sure the timing works, like is this a good time, is now not a good time? 
what are some other concepts that a person so, could learn about? Knowing your processing style. So if you're someone, I always go back to the disc profile, right? The D, the I, the S and the C. The people who are in the S and the C quadrants frequently need processing time. They need to go back. They need to think about it. They need to sit with it. They might need to do some of their own research on it in terms of thinking about scenarios that happen, how it applies or whatever. And then they might want to come back with clarifying questions. So if that's your style of processing information, it's okay to say, thank you for telling me, can we meet again on this tomorrow so I can ask you some questions mm -hmm. or so I can, yep. you know, reflect on how I've done it. Another thing you can ask is what would improved performance look like? Like what mm. concretely would you see when I make that? How will I know that I'm going in the right direction? Those types of questions are really valuable. I and mean, if you can't think of any question and you feel yourself just like frozen because you've given the feedback, this is my bonus round question. Anybody can ask this anytime. Can you say more about that? That's it. Beth, I want to tell you that your performance in the meeting yesterday was not up to par. It's not what I was looking for. You didn't bring the, the facts up that people need to hear. And I'm sitting there going, oh, are you kidding me? And my mind is like wanting to shrink away and go down to nothing and get out of the room as fast as possible. And if I take a breath and say, can you just say a little more about that? Then I can get to what's underneath it. Oftentimes the thing that people bring to us is the symptom, but there's more underneath it to unearth and if we can't stay in that conversation and ask those kinds of questions, we can never get to what's underneath it, right? What's the bigger picture under there? And that's where the juice is. That's where, that's where what you want to know is right. not the symptom, but what is the challenge? Why do I need to be more effective? How could I have delivered it better? What facts were they listening for that I didn't give them? How could I have prepped better? All those kinds of questions are the things that you want to get to, but you need to keep the dialogue open. And when we get hard feedback, a lot of times we just want to get out of the room. That to me brings it back to the idea of like it being about personalities versus being factual. So if you tell me, Lisa, you're really loud in a meeting, that's like your opinion. But I could say, one, can you say more about that? that gives me a little bit of breathing room. And then I can also say, what are, how does that impact? What's the impact of that? So I can yes. help, I can help shift you to be more specific if it's starting out of like your opinion about my voice or my sweater or whatever. Right. Yes, exactly. Um, let's begin to wrap up, Beth. I want folks to know that this is an ebook, which I think is awesome. You can download it right away. And the worksheets, as I mentioned in my scenario, are very, very helpful. And can you just direct people to how to find out more about not only your, this new book, but also the foundational principles that allowed it to be possible? Yeah. So you can go to our website, which is ncdsolution.com, ncdsolution.com. And the book is right there. We also do training on the book to take it deeper, take the content deeper. The Navigating Challenging Dialogue, the foundational workshop can be taken online about two hours in its entirety. It's broken down into several modules. 
And then there's um, an in- engagement piece where myself and Sasha Mobley, my business partner, engage with you and you can ask questions. For folks who are curious about this and want to just learn more and have an opportunity to be experience some of the components of it, we also have a Facebook group called Navigating Challenging Dialogue, and people can ask questions, put scenarios in there, or just absorb all the content that comes through there. And lastly, on our website, you'll find tons of free resources. So if yeah. you're a manager, emerging manager, uh, somebody who wants to go into a leadership role, We've developed this whole video series, which is completely free. Anybody can can get it and grab it. And there's things on coaching as a manager, self-coaching, telecommuting management. I mean, there's a million topics. So uh, we want to be of service. I mean, that's a reality. Our mission is to change the way people engage because I believe it can be healthy. I believe it can lift all of us up. That's what we're doing over here. So jump in. Totally. I have found all of your resources very valuable on the website. And this book, I hope this doesn't sound like a too big of a statement. There really isn't. I've never seen a book like this about feedback. There's books that are like why it's important and, you know, research and theory. And this is like, how do you actually do it in a way that releases us from drama and sort of a lot of the emotional pain that can come with it? And it's very, very practical. So Beth, it's always great to talk to you. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you for being such a great resource. Thanks for listening to Vertical Playcast. And then what about thanks for listening to High Fives Podcast? Can you do it? Okay, try. Thanks for getting off the class, guy. <laughs>